Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I'm so excited that we are almost at the beginning of the new year, or if you're listening to this episode a few days after launching, it's already a new year. This is my favorite time of the year because this is a time that I set New Year's resolution and I've been historically successful at them because not because I have this kind of strong will, it's because I learned to be good at coming up with strategies to reach those goals. So as gift to you, I created this checklist of 25 ways and activities that you can do to increase your sexual desire. Because one of the most common concerns and complaints I get from my clients is they're telling me that although they experience sexual desire previously in their life, with their With the same partner or other partners right now, things are challenging for them and they don't even want sex. So I think in order to transform your sex life, truly, the first step is helping you to experience and connect with that sexual desire. So make sure you're going to the show notes and downloading that checklist now and start working through it. You can kind of think about each month, I'll do five, or you can think about each week, I'll do one. So whatever way that works for you. But I think the key for successfully accomplish your resolution is finding the strategies that works for you and kind of being consistent. So our guest today, Jeanette Pilet, her story is very interesting. She used to be a attorney, healthcare attorney in New York City. She was in a sexless marriage for two decades. And then she's, she told herself, this is not working for me. And she turned it around. And then because of her success, now she is a, a coach and she's a sexuality educator. So her story is fascinating. And this episode is full of great tips that you guys can apply to engineer an orgasmic year for yourself. Jeanette is a certified somatic sex and intimacy coach sexological body worker, holistic pelvic care practitioner, tantra educator, and somatic experiencing trauma practitioner. I leave a link to her full bio in the show notes so you guys can read about her wonderful experiences and accolades if you're interested to learn more about her. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeanette Poulet. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Janae Paylet on our show today. Janae, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Yes, Paylet. Paylet. <laughs> <laughs> See, like it was 30 seconds pass and I already... <laughs> exactly. It's one of those things goes in and out. <laughs> well, as I was sharing with you, that's very chic and I love your first and last name, but uh, it's kind of hard for me to pronounce it because I'm not from here. So, Janae, I'm very excited to learn what we can do to create an orgasmic life, an orgasmic year for ourselves. And I know that I was reading your book 
book is a fantastic read and I love the areas you covered. But I, I want to start with kind of learning more about you because I know that it seems like you went through a transition. So tell us, how did you arrive to this decision? This is something I want to pursue. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I've had sort of an interesting um, and unusual journey. I'm a healthcare lawyer by training. I did practice for most of my career. And I was in a sexless marriage for 26 years. Oh, God. Just a long time to be in it's a, a lifetime. Mm -hmm. It's a lifetime. And obviously, it wasn't totally sexless because I have two children. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely pretty much sexless. And honestly, like the issue for me personally around sex were two issues. One was I had a tremendous amount of shame body shame. I just wasn't comfortable with my body and my sexuality. And I also had, and I think related to this, I had some very painful intercourse. I had vaginismus. And that made sex really uncomfortable. And there was a lot of drama around it. And it was just easier after my second child was born just to say, like, we're done. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't necessarily a conscious choice, but there was a lot of drama around sex. Mm -hmm. And I think it just, you know, it didn't happen immediately, but it happened pretty quickly. And then, which is what always happens when couples stop having sex is we stopped having intimacy and we stopped kissing and then we stopped touching and then we stopped living in even sleeping in separate in the same room so we were sleeping in separate beds for almost 15 years and that was for a variety of different reasons but you know it didn't help our connection at all and when the marriage was clearly over <laughs> <laughs> I knew that I had this issue that I had to deal with because I was still young. I was in my, I just turned 50 at the time. And I knew that I wanted to be in other relationships. And, you know, I had more, had other chapters in my life. And I thought that they would involve other partners. But I had this issue around sex and I need to really deal with it. And that caused me to really just take a deep dive into my sexuality for my own learning and my own growth. And um, I had been living in New York. I'm from New York. I've been living in the city. And I moved to California, left my career, my life, everything to be able to take a really deep dive into sexological body work. And I did a number of Tantra trainings and I've done, I did somatica training with Celeste and Danielle. I was actually in their very first class, the inaugural nice. class, <laughs> taking it to other times since then, including assisting it. And through my own work, my own personal healing of like understanding what was going on in my body, getting more comfortable, releasing trauma that I had, it just became really clear to me like this was my this was my next chapter mm -hmm. this was my mission in in the world to be able to help women who are sexually shut down women who have had trauma and abuse couples and sexless marriages to be able to really fully embrace and enjoy their sexuality mm -hmm. and that's how it that's how it all sort of happened it wasn't intentional <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'm glad that you you made this drastic change in your life because this story you shared with me, although it's very unfortunate and heartbreaking, but very common. I have many people in my practice that they have tons of shame around sex, which we're going to talk about it, but also it's impacting their ability to have sex. They're experiencing painful sex. They have all sorts of sexual dysfunctions. And this kind of idea of, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a sexual person is, is become very familiar with them. And they, yes. they no longer see themselves as sexual being. And later in life, they feel like, you know, I've I never been sexual and this will not happen for me. So I love that after your marriage ended, you decided to address this. And it seems like this is something that you were able to address. And now you're passionate to share your thoughts and your experiences with others. And I love that you talked about kind of this sexual shame and some barriers because Sometimes I feel, especially around New Year, something that happens is that people say, you know, I'm going to transform my sex life. We're going to have 30 days of sex intercourse and everything going to be great. And it's just not a matter of only intentions because some of the challenges that we have are very deeply rooted. I know in the book, you talked about how women are almost programmed to say no to sex. So can you tell us more about some of these barriers? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give you an example of how women are programmed to say no to sex from very, very young, at a very young age, because it just happened. I've had my own experience around it, but I just had a call from a client called me hysterical. It's like, what's going on? My three-year-old daughter was caught, in quotes, (laughs) masturbating in preschool a couple of times. Now, she, you know, is in a pretty sex-positive household, right? And, and they ended up calling Children and Family Services. Oh, no. Yes, because they suspected that there was some sort of abuse happening. And what mm-hmm. she said to me was like, how do I talk to my daughter so that this, this doesn't cause shame for her? Mm-hmm. She also explored with another little girl. I think that was like the tipping point, mm-hmm. right? But again, from a t- totally innocent place, mm-hmm. right? And so just from that very beginning, like a little girl touches her vagina, uh-huh. right? Her hand gets slapped mm-hmm. away, right? That says no to sex. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think little boys, like there's a lot more acceptance around that. If a little boy is touching himself in preschool, nobody's really, you know, calling your children right. services <laughs> right away, right? They say boys are boys. Uh-huh. Exactly, right? So just even in that gender, you know, even in, in that difference, but we are pre-programmed at that early, early age to say no to sex that that sex is touching ourselves is bad, that it's dirty, that it's shameful, that, you know, where certainly as we get older, you know, sex is not about our pleasure. Who tells anybody that sex is about your pleasure? Sex is about servicing your partner, right? Mm -hmm. All of the body shame that we have around sex is also part of these messages that we get, you know, don't have, you've got to be a virgin when you get married. Mm -hmm. That's still, a lot of people still get those messages, as -hmm. as you know. Sex is about making sure you don't get pregnant. Well, that's true. Sex is about making sure you don't have an STD, but we're never giving women 
and men, but mostly women, we're never good giving women positive messages about like sex is actually for your pleasure. Mm-hmm. Sex is a wonderful thing, right? And so like we are really programmed to say no to sex. It's easy for us to put our foot on the brake because we've been told from very, very young that sex is bad and sex is shameful and your pleasure is not something that can be embraced. Mm-hmm. And you're right that I think big part of it starts around masturbation and it's normal and common for kids to explore their sexuality, masturbate, kind of playing doctor with other kids. But even if people are, children are at the sex positive households, oftentimes school gets kind of panicky around these things. Other parents might have a reaction. Right. So it's a systematic issue. And I know in the book also you talk about Madonna and horror dilemma. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so so this is uh this is this is related to the whole sex is shameful piece. So the Madonna horror complex was actually coined by uh, Sigmund Freud, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and and basically the his the theory is that you know, men want to marry the Madonna, the pure virgin, but they want to have sex with the whore, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, and we can look at it in a couple of different ways. A lot of men who are really caught in this Madonna whore complex, they either show up one of two ways. They're either, they're almost like over adoring, like worshiping women, right? Mm -hmm. Which for a lot of women doesn't feel good because there's a lot of neediness around that, right? Or they're they're very sexualized. Like they, they, they see women as sexual objects and, and they sexualize women and they might even be abusive towards women. And they tend to be with women who are manipulative and it becomes very dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. But what happens for women, we always look at it from the men's perspective when we talk about the Madonna whore complex, but actually I think it has such a huge impact on women because women make choices based on how we believe a partner is going to view us as well, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times this shows up in the question of if you're single and dating, no matter what age you are, should I have sex on the first date? Mm -hmm. Well, what's what's the problem here? Well, if I have sex on the first date, is this man going to think that I'm loose? Mm -hmm. And if I'm loose, maybe he's going to not respect me and not want to be in a long-term relationship with me, right? So I'm showing up as the whore Mm -hmm. rather than as the pure Madonna. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's a ridiculous, you know, distinction that we have, but it really holds us back. And very often you'll see, I'm sure you've probably seen this in your practice, like this one couple where before she met her husband, who's this wonderful man, she was very sexually open and very sexually expressed, right? And very often women who are like that, especially if there's abuse in in history, which there was with her, end up marrying the good man, the good guy who keeps them safe and protects them but maybe isn't really sexually expressive and mm-hmm. is it, you know, kind of is more into vanilla sex. And a lot of women will hold themselves back from being able to fully sexually express themselves because they fear that their partner is going to judge them mm-hmm. in that way. Right. Absolutely. And I feel I've seen a different range of this with different couples that uh, for some people, it's more for some couples, more pronounced and more present. And for some couples are more even subtle and then perhaps or not, they don't have awareness around it. Even 
around couples I know we talked about uh, heterosexual couples but I go about gay couples also because of the messages they got early on the lesbian couples they learn about kind of like internalize some of these shame based messages and they're now carrying it in a same sex relationship so yes. some of these messages those are so deep rooted and I love the other thing that you talked about in your book about overt and covert kind of trauma and abuse mm-hmm. that many many women are experiencing Experiencing, right. And it's easy to kind of know that if you had a sexual assault in the past, uh, sexual abuse in the past, that's impacting your sexuality. But as you talked about in the book, many women on daily basis, they experience this negative, subtle ways that they get sexualized and it's not welcome. And that's impact their sexuality and desire. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I mean, covert abuse is really around, we look at it as visual abuse, right? Mm -hmm. So where like a woman gets checked out, or this happens a lot in in as a, as a little girl, right? Like, you know, a father or a stepfather or a brother sexualizes them and sort of checks them out or says something to them. Or like there's the peeping Tom, they're mm-hmm. like spying on them as well. And in, in everyday daily life, right? A lot of women walk through life just feeling like they are being sexualized. It's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a huge issue for women. The Me Too movement, I think, really, you know, brought this to a forefront, the amount of sexualization that actually goes on. And it makes women feel very uncomfortable and not safe. And one of the things that women really need in order to be able to open themselves up sexually is to really feel totally safe, mm-hmm. safe in their body safe with their partner, both physically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And any type of abuse, including overt abuse, creates a place where it's just not safe, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're not safe, you're contracted. And when you're mm-hmm. contracted, you can't open up your body, you can't open up your vagina, you can't open up your heart mm-hmm. to allow your sexuality to actually flow. So it actually does have a very big, you know, obviously, abuse has a very big impact on women, but even these more subtle types mm-hmm. of abuse, emotional abuse as well, like so many women are emotionally abused or even gaslighted, Mm -hmm. which is also another form of emotional and verbal abuse, right? Mm -hmm. Again, it creates doubt. It creates a a fear. It creates a place of it not being safe Mm -hmm. to express yourself and your sexuality. Absolutely. And I I love it when you talked about this more of a verbal aspect of kind of harassment that women are experiencing on daily basis and how some young girls and teenagers kind of get accused, okay, what were you doing? What were you wearing that kind of elicited that? kind of response and what my experience at least working with teens is women early on learn to get smaller and smaller kind of like okay I don't want to give out this sexual energy which is like as part of their vitality and therefore they try to kind of like dull down their personality and not being expressive because they get they don't want to expose themselves to these sorts of harassment and I think if you have 20 of them 10 of them or even 5 of them each day you you kind of dull down your sexual energy each time. And those combination of those things also can impact people's sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're really, you're, and you're also talking about slut shaming, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, so women, which means like women who are teenagers often, or 
you know, young women who are sexually open and expressive and want to have a lot of different partners, mm-hmm. right? They get shamed for being the sexual woman, right? Like you get shamed for being the quote, the whore, right? but but you don't get shamed for being the good girl, the Madonna. And, and that, and that, that's very, very damaging for women as well. That really has a huge impact on their sexuality. And like, it just really embeds that those shame messages very deeply. And in my, what I've seen a lot in my experience is the slut shaming usually happens typically by other women, mm-hmm. right? Less so than by sometimes by men, but typically it's by other women who are actually judging, like mm-hmm. we judge our sisters, you know, that's that the culture in which we're judging our sisters mm-hmm. as opposed to like supporting each other, or like, you know, a group of women should be able to do. But yeah, that's, you know, that's a huge issue. And I've seen that. I've seen that with a number of my clients who were like that, right, mm-hmm. as teenagers, and then got like shut down. Mm-hmm. And I love that you mentioned how sometimes other women are judging each other, because I, I work with lots of women who are celebrating their sexualities. And that time they're asking me, you know, I just don't want to tell my friends about it, because they're going to shame me about it. But perhaps they telling me they don't get the similar reaction for men, because mm-hmm. culturally, sometimes men are more open when it comes to sexuality. And I think it's really important to kind of be intentional about the comments, about the things and the support we offer our friends. Sometimes it's coming from the place of you, you want to protect your friend, but then what kind of messages you are kind of like cultivating and creating in the bigger community. So I wanted to know, I know that this is the beginning of the year. And many people make uh, lots of resolution and they want to change things around. So our female listeners that they want to have an orgasmic life <laughs> this year, yeah. what are some of the recommendations that you have for us? Oh, there's so many possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, I believe very, very strongly that an orgasm, living an orgasmic life starts with really loving yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, I believe that's where our, our sexuality stems from. That's where our strength and our creative power stems from. It's from really inside of ourself. So really, first of all, giving yourself a lot of compassion around your body and all of the body images that you have, because there's not a woman in this world on this planet who does not have body images. And we know that, right? And the more quote, perfect the body that they have, the more body images that they, the more body image issues they have. So a lot of compassion and loving, like, yeah, this is what my body looks like right now. And I, I, in, in my group coaching class for women, I take them through this wonderful meditation where we start to, we reframe our relationship with our body by realizing that your body is your best friend. Mm-hmm. And it's the only only part of you and the only person that will be with you that was with you when you were born and will be with you when you die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is a very, very powerful reframe, right? And just like you're changing, it's changing. So that's number one, like, Mm -hmm. love your body and love yourself. Second, I I would say this, my second recommendation is take the power back over your own arousal and over your own eroticism. By that, I mean, I, I, one of the things that I find with a lot of women is that they don't really understand their whole arousal system. They don't really know what turns them on, both physically, 
psychologically and sometimes emotionally they get it, but the other pieces they don't really understand. And we end up deferring our arousal if we're in a relationship to a partner. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, oh, I'm not sure what I want, but I know she or he knows what to do for me. Right. And A, that's not fair to the other person because, you know, I've worked with women's bodies, right, as a sexological body worker. Mm -hmm. So I've touched a lot of vulvas Mm -hmm. and everybody's vulva is completely different. And, you know, what's, what's one woman's pleasure is another woman's torture, right? right. Um, and so it's really hard for a partner to figure that out, and nor should they be responsible, because I truly believe that we all need to be responsible for our own pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like, you, if you know what you like and you know what you want, then you can have this juicy relationship with the partner because you can be able to tell them mm-hmm. what's going on for you, right? What I want next. And I really feel it's super important that, you know, that we learn what we like. And that means touching ourselves and loving our bodies and understanding exactly how we like to be touched. So I think that's the second thing is like take and, and, and not disempowering yourself mm-hmm. by giving that power away to a partner, mm-hmm. which is different than collaborative sex. I think collaborative sex is beautiful and creative and juicy. And we all want to have collaborative sex, but collaborative sex also involves knowing what you want, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. And then I would say the other piece for me is there's so many pieces of it kind of re- changing our mind frame about what sex actually is, mm-hmm. right? That sex is not just about penis, vagina, intercourse, or mm-hmm. PIV, penis mm-hmm. in vagina. <laughs> right. <laughs> female, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whatever. Or hand in vagina. It's mm-hmm. not just about that, right? Mm-hmm. Like sex can be anything that's erotic. Mm-hmm. And the more we can expand the palette, the more you can, you, you, your listeners can expand your palette of what sex can be, the more possibilities there are for you to have amazing experiences. Mm-hmm. And also taking away all of the goals and the expectations, right? Like just stop expecting that you're going to have an orgasm. It doesn't have to happen. Right. In fact, you can have great sex without having an orgasm. Mm -hmm. And the more you can sort of allow sex to be like, like a palette, right? Like it's art. I love this. This is something that I, this is, I steal this from Nicole Dayadone from her book, Slow Sex. Like sex is, uh, what did she say? It's art, not science. Mm-hmm. There's not like, you know, there's not, there's, there's not these ingredients. And I think in, for, in a lot of sexual interactions, we think there's in, these ingredients. Oh, first we make out, mm-hmm. then he goes down on me or she goes down on me, right? You know, mm-hmm. no, like throw that out the window. Like be in the energy that is there, yeah? Mm-hmm. And, and, and treat it as art, Mm-hmm. Treat it as like something new and something different and exploring and being creative rather than like this is the recipe for sex. First of all, that gets boring. And second of all, <laughs> right, like who wants that? And second of all, like, you know, what worked for women, women are like this, like a little bit different than some men. Like what worked for women, what worked for me one day might not work for me the next day, mm-hmm. right? You know, our, our nerve endings start getting numb. We want to create new neuronal pathways of pleasure in the body. 
so that's what I think the recipe is for, you know, for having an, for, for having an orgasmic life, for living an mm-hmm. orgasmic life in, in 2020. I love that you talked about focusing on changing the first step, kind of just having compassion and changing your self-image. Because part of my practice in LA, I see tons of women who are struggling with uh, self-image issues, eating disorder behaviors, and even like women who are not coming for those issues. Most people, like most women at least, they know what sexy looks like, and I'm doing air quotes, but they don't know what sexy feels like. And I think with the focus on feeling and seeing, okay, what what does my body is able to provide me can be transformative. You talked about Tantra. We have this special episode on Tantra next week that we talked about energygasm and like erotic breathing. And I think mm-hmm. it's mind-blowing that like your body can gives you this pleasure experience even without you touching yourself. So our right. bodies are this uh, wonderful vehicle for pleasure. And if we are kind of hyper-focused on let's fix this corner and let's change that part of it, then we are cheating ourselves on our potential that our bodies provide. And I love that that you also talked about increasing our definition, like expanding our definition of eroticism and sex and sexuality because we want to, like I, I encourage people to think about adding an element of playfulness to sex mm-hmm. this year because mm-hmm. we want to kind of examine what are some of the things that we can explore this year that can give us more pleasure and uh, it might not necessarily lead to that specific orgasm that I want but you might discover other things that you can kind of add to your toolbox so we're toward the end of our time but I loved your book I know you have your coaching program so if our listeners are curious about where they can get some of this information that you mentioned and they can go deeper on these topics. What are some of the ways to connect with you? Sure. So my book is called Living an Orgasmic Life, Heal Yourself and Awaken Your Pleasure. Uh, And you can find it on Amazon and in every other bookseller (laughs) that exists. Um, And you can can find information on it on my website, Mm -hmm. which is www.powerofpleasure.com. It's www.powerofpleasure.com. I offer an online group coaching program to women for women. I actually offer two. The the first one is reclaim your desire and reignite your love life. Um, And the second one is a woman's guide to orgasmic bliss. It's like an advanced program, essentially. And in those programs, we really go deeply into your sexuality and we go deeply into your desires and figuring out what you actually want Hmm. physically and psychologically as well as emotionally. And then I also do private, most of my, most of my practice is private coaching. I work virtually. I'm uh, relocating <laughs> to the East Coast, but I still work with people uh, all over, in, both in California, which is where I am now, and um, all over the States and all over the world. So you can reach me any of those ways, powerofpleasure.com. Perfect, guys. Is the link going to be in the show notes? Thank you, Jeanette, for being coming on this show. This was such a uh, wonderful roadmap to how to create a orgasmic living this this year of 2020. And I'm excited to share it with our listener. Thank you so much, and hopefully, we'll have you on the show in uh, later on. That'd be awesome. Thanks so much for doing the show. It's awesome. Thank you. Have a good day. 
I hope my interview with Jeanette gave you good information about some of the barriers that gets in the way of you reaching your sexual potential. And hopefully we were able to give you some guideline to on what to do to address some of those issues. One of the things I always tell my client that the fact that this the changes hasn't come yet, it doesn't mean that you cannot have them. I think the first step is working on the limiting beliefs that gets in the way of you taking action around improving your sex life. And I I truly, truly believe that everyone who wants, they can have a fulfilling sexual pleasure and sexual life. So take time and focus on it and come up with how are you going to approach this year as, as it comes to your sexuality goal. Also a reminder that make sure you are following me at my Instagram account at Oasis2Care. This month, Janu- month of January, this is the third year anniversary of my podcast getting released on a weekly basis. And I want to celebrate with giving you guys tons of fun, uh, free giveaways. Some of the things I picked are some of my favorite books in the realm of sexuality, some really fun toys, some gift cards. We have different themes each week. So we're going to have tons of fun. Make sure you're following me so you can enter for this giveaway. Thank you so much for checking out this podcast and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.